Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning. It's Brad Perlin, your host for Vermont Viewpoint here on WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, exciting morning here at the studio. Phone lines are down. Uh, so we are going into what we call Plan B on Vermont Viewpoint, and uh, uh, we've got a, a great show. We're going to be talking uh, a little bit uh, at 9.15 with Tommy Gardner. He is going to call in, actually. He's, he's over in an area that's pretty flooded right now, too, so he's doing some cleanup, but he, he said he would join me, Tommy Gardner of News and Citizen. Uh, WDEV yesterday celebrated 92 years on the air. 92 years. There are, it's a, just a lot of history, a lot of radio. If you look around this studio, it's amazing. The, uh, the posters on the wall are of musicians that have played around Vermont for, for decades and it's just, uh, amazing. I was in, uh, and well, first of all, uh, the second part of the show, we are going to be, um, trying to talk with, uh, four people who are involved in recovery in Vermont and New Hampshire, uh, and a recovery, uh, summit that's coming up in August. And, uh, that will be Melinda White from the Howard Center, Don Tetro from Jenna's Promise. Uh, Anthony O'Shaughnessy from Granite Recovery Center and Lila Bennett is Journey to Recovery Community Center. They all bring pieces of the pie to recovery and, and how we can uh, save lives. And it's, it's really a serious, uh, problem in Vermont and across the nation, uh, with addiction and overdose and fentanyl and all of that. On Friday, I drove over to Stowe for a, a meeting I was at and then went over the notch and, uh, was, um, went into obviously, uh, into Cambridge area and stuff. And I've never seen, uh, corn knocked down by floodwaters before. And it was, Really horrible looking. It was, it was swampy, pale green, acres and acres of it. And it was interesting to me that, first of all, I don't think corn, once that happens, uh, comes back. So part of this whole flooding and, and recovery is really the farmers are, are a big part of this. Their hay crops, their, uh, corn, their fields in general, their roads, uh, the pastures for their, for their livestock, all of that is, is really, uh, problematic. Not to mention, you know, whatever their value added in, uh, crops are, the, the blueberries, the strawberries. I know strawberries were greatly affected this year, uh, unfortunately, and hopefully blueberries did okay. They're a little higher up. So, uh, not only the, the corn knocked down, but Go by the Cambridge store and they're working on that. They had lost power and were flooded and the Cambridge store owner had posted on Facebook, uh, come and get free food. And, and this is somebody who had just bought the store, uh, not, not long, long before, like three or four days before or, or a week before. 
and all of a sudden he's uh, challenged with adversity, but he's taking the adversity and saying, look, the food's going to spoil in the, in the coolers. We don't have power. Come and get it. And people came and, and picked up free food from him. And what I saw from the road driving by in Cambridge was a whole lot of people helping a whole lot of people. There were, um, people toting stuff out of houses. The, uh, some of the storage facilities had all of their doors opened and people were pulling stuff out of that. They were, they had flooded as well. Think of that. If you had packed all of your life belongings into a storage facility and the Lamoille River climbs up and, uh, and everything's floating, it's just this, the flooding goes, goes on and on and on. And, uh, the, but it looked like people were really helping um, people, and I'm reading that on Facebook. And uh, we had hoped um, this morning that we would have some open lines on just some of these stories, and, and hopefully we'll do that uh, later this month. And uh, it's just, you know, the Vermont Strong concept, I guess. We, we saw it with uh, Hurricane Irene and adversity, and I'm, I'm reminded of, Old time Vermont when, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, I wasn't alive in the 40s, but there was this concept about sort of the laconic Vermonter, the keep to yourself Vermonter. And they would maybe be your neighbor, the next farm over or houses in the distance or something. But the communities knew um, each other and uh, people knew each other and if something happened to you, you know, if some, if there was a death in a family, people weren't invasive, but they may show up at your door with a with a fresh baked apple pie and and a a nice gesture of uh, saying, "Look, um, we're really sorry," and then going back, to, you know, going back to their existence, or if your car is off the road or something like that, the the kind of um, goodness that you know, we would really hope in humanity. And it's funny how these uh, disasters hopefully bring out uh, the, the goodness in people and helping. And that's that's really what I was seeing in uh, in Cambridge uh, the other day. And, and I don't know what will happen with these corn crops. They dry out. And they won't be able to plant again. It's too late in Vermont season. Uh, but it certainly is... Uh, going to take some time to recover. And I know across the state, as was reported earlier, the the bike trails, and which is part of Vermont recreation, all of that is uh, going to take a lot of work. And uh, the Capitol Plaza in uh, Montpelier, along with, you know, just about every business there, they ironically had new owners within four or five days of the flood and the old owners had taken over the Capitol Plaza when the flood hit and they had to reconstruct the whole building. And so the, so the irony of that is just too, too great. And I'm hoping to have the Cambridge store owner and the new owners of Capitol Plaza on uh, my show in, you know, in a couple weeks, maybe when they get their feet on their ground a little bit and, just find out what what's it like when you just buy a new business and all of a sudden you're you're faced with this. How do you how do you cope with it? 
how do you move forward? How do you keep optimistic? Uh, you know, and the management of your staff and everything else. Uh, these are, you know, very, the uh, store in Cambridge is an amazing hub of the community, like the, the Elmore store and the, you know, all these little town stores that are, the store owner knows, he's like the hairdresser. He knows all the gossip. He knows, he or she know, knows, you know, everything that happened because they get, uh, tidbits. Every, every customer who comes in chats for a bit and then goes on their way. So if you want to know the secrets of a community, you go to the town clerk, to the store owner, or to the local hairdresser, and you could write a book. Uh, so this is Vermont Viewpoint, uh, WDEV in Waterbury. Uh, it's Brad Furlan, and uh, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back with Tommy Gardner. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan on uh, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. We're having a little bit of problem with our phones this morning. Hopefully they'll get them fixed. Um, but I have Tommy Gardner on the line on my cell phone. And welcome this morning, Tommy, from News and Citizen and Stowe Reporter. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. This is uh wing it morning. Uh, <laughs> it's going to... Rec- yeah, I think a lot of people have been winging it the past uh, week, you know, when it comes to... Uh, um, you know, preparedness. There's only so much. You know, every ounce of, uh, of pre- pre- preparedness. You know, being a pound of cure, but <laughs> there's a whole lot of pounds out there that need curing. Yeah, for sure. So you're a schooled, long-time journalist. Where does this rank in adversity uh, for reporting for you? I mean, I mean, we have to like. I mean, we all have to remember. COVID. I mean, obviously, so everything has to be second to that. Um, but as far as um, as far as disasters go, I was at the Gazette during Irene, um, and so uh, um, and up in Hardwick, and so a lot of people up in this neck of the woods, up in northern Lamar County, remember the flooding in June of 2011 more substantially than the stuff that came near Labor Day that year. Yeah. Not to downplay, you know, the, the, the horrifying, you know, images and, and also the, just the, the, um, um, the, the heartwarming, you know, neighbor helping neighbor that we've seen in the past, uh, in the past week. Um, you know, it, it's not as global as the pandemic. Um, so which, which only puts it that, that way a second, but, uh, um, but there's, I'm seeing a lot of similarities between uh, the community response to the pandemic, with people, you know, checking in on everybody. Um, you know, the, here in here in Lamoille County, the uh, the old COVID res- rapid response team kind of got the band back together on Friday and had a Zoom call with all the same players that were, you know, uh, you know, mobilizing during, uh, you know, uh, you know, the spring and summer of, of 2020 to to. Uh, to, to just check in on everybody. So it's been, you know, it is, is as bad as the damage has been, the, uh, you know, the, the people who are responding are, are responding in ways that are very similar to, uh, um, to two years ago. Obviously, um, this is much more acute. Um, you know, this is in, in, in much more, uh, 
um, uh, fast-paced, you know, with, with filling out, whether it's filling out paperwork for FEMA or, you know, just keeping an eye on the skies when that, that next, uh, that next rainstorm comes. And I think we mentioned beforehand that, uh, you know, we live up on a hill, but, uh, you know, that rainstorm on Sunday, yesterday was, the, was the one that broke the levees, uh, in, in our, in our, in our neck of the woods. And we, we got, we took some flooding on as well. So it's, uh, you know, the, it, it, it hasn't ended yet and people are looking at the forecast tomorrow as well with a little concern and, you know, and anything they can see, I think on the weather, on the weather forecast that says under 50% is, uh, what passes for good news these days. It's amazing. And it's really heartwarming what you're saying about the getting the band back together. Maybe we'll have to get a whole bunch of Blues Brothers, uh, hats and, uh, sunglasses for the, for a group picture or something. Um, but, exactly, and your, and your old N95 masks. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a little variation on the theme, but, you know, that's that's the way Bellucci would roll, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, so what what about, I, I did mention to listeners that I drove through Cambridge, and um, it's really, there's stark contrast between, like, one side of the road and the other, the, the this pale knocked down corn was was just decimated acres and acres of it and then you know 50 feet beyond the 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 corn was lush and rich and and of course it's riverbed corn so it's higher than than some other places because it's just there's so much nutrient around there it's just it's hard to get your arms around it uh i mean i mean if you look at i was at school street um in walcott on on Saturday, there was a, a community, uh, uh, you know, barbecue, um, for, you know, to help people on school street and Flatiron Road, which were both, uh, pretty hard hit. Flatiron Road was just demolished. But, uh, so the, the, the library and the town offices on one side of school street, they were high and dry. That's where the, the people spent the night, some of them in the shelter there, the makeshift shelter and, um, right across the street homes are underwater so i mean it's it, it really even just for the crown of the road um right there kept one side uh safe and one side you know wet yeah it's interesting that um i heard earlier on on the show that like elmore got seven inches of rain um and it sounds like you got a whole bunch of rain where you are i'm in st albans town we got i'd say for 15 minutes there was hard rain yesterday but other than that it was Really not that bad. It was, it was clear at, um, a lot of points. I, even sunny, I, I didn't put my sheep out to pasture, but I did let them out a little bit, um, near the paddock area because I didn't want, you know, a thunderstorm to roll through. But it's just amazing how regional these things are. Uh, and like you said. Oh, absolutely. I was texting with friends in, in Montpelier, texting with friends in, uh, in, in Cambridge, texting with friends in, in, uh, um, Barton, uh, Irisburg. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it, every time like a new rain shower come through, someone would text and say, Oh, here it comes. And then we were like, Oh, it's actually quite sunny. And then we'd be like, Oh, here it comes. And they're like, actually, it's quite nice over here. <laughs> Yeah, it's the old adage about just wait a minute, right? And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, people, I think people are sick of waiting a minute. So will the the newspapers, the your the News and Citizens, Stowe Reporter, the other papers, 
will be filled with photos and stories. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that at least for one more week, uh, we're going to be fairly, uh, um, you know, flood centric. I mean, when I remember, this is before I started at the with the family, but when we owned uh, the Waterbury Record, that was in 2011. I started working at the paper. The story border in 2013, so that's two years later. And you know, obviously, as part of the family, we would write Waterbury record stories occasionally as well. And even in 2013, it was very rare that I'd be writing a story in the Waterbury record that didn't have the the word Irene in it at some point. We're talking two years later. Wow. You know, so so I, I don't. I mean, it's just that's that's what you know local community papers do is we. We stick around for when, you know, the select board meetings and the school board meetings, they're going to be talking about it. So that's what we're going to be talking about as well. So I saw these um, storage units that looked like they had flooded. The store had flooded in Cambridge. The houses were emptying their presumably their basements and maybe their first floors in some cases. Um, and I have heard that a lot of this is uninsured. I know um, a business owner I talked to, in Montpelier, their their losses are uninsured, you know, at least through their own insurance. Is there some relief? What what happens in these circumstances for people? That's that's a great question, and it's one that you know it's on our to do list to to find out whether if it's not this week, then the, then the week after. Um, it's you know I, I have heard that similar things that uh, a lot of people do not have flood insurance because it's expensive, and. Um, and I don't imagine that something like this is going to make it less expensive. Uh, I, I believe that, uh, from what I understand, Sterling Market and Johnson, um, I'm not sure of their insurance situation, but what they, the owners have been posting on social media does, seems to indicate that they're not, they're not too, uh, um, confident that they'll be back. Oh no. Oh my goodness. And we're, all, and we're also hearing, you know, just, you know, the, 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 the people, who are leading up responses and stuff like that, just like underlining it, beating it, beating it, beating it. You know, fill out your paperwork, document everything, save every receipt, take pictures. You know, the, that so that when you when you go to uh, file with with FEMA, that you know that, that you have everything documented. That's that's you know a lot of yeah a lot of times even if 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 you the the property owner just don't have the mental capacity or the emotional capacity to do it you know find somebody who who does and you know just get a helper um i mean that's kind of the the message that we're hearing a lot right now as far as as far as getting uh, uh made whole or at least as, as whole as possible from FEMA is to document everything yeah in fact i saw central vermont economic development had a list on their website, just exactly what you were saying. Document the damage with photos, write down your experience, including time of major event, capture all losses, um, report damage to 211 by phone uh, or online. Uh, says contact your insurance company to file a claim uh, if you if you have that and can. Um, and then... Uh, Looking at what local, state, or federal partners can help you with, and um, and then it it's just adds avoid making quick decisions or major purchases until you're aware of the potential funding that's available to help. So that's all good advice. Uh, right. I imagine some some quick purchases are 
you know, difficult to find anyway. If you're talking like sump pumps or generators or, you know, uh, those types of, uh, get the water out type tools. Yeah. Uh, probably difficult to find. I know it's kind of interesting that snow blowers and air conditioners and sump pumps, you don't need them often in Vermont. But when you need them, you need them. <laughs> and then when you need them, if you don't get them right away, somebody else bought them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking with Tommy Gardner this morning. It's Vermont Viewpoint and WDEV. Tommy is a longtime reporter, News and Citizen, Stowe Reporter, uh, South Burlington, other paper and, and others. And um, so that the... You've been on the beat. Have you been traveling around and, and able to actually talk to people for stories, or or are you more oh, at thirty thousand feet? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm handling a thirty thousand foot view for the papers uh, this week. Uh, um, but at the same time, I you know I I I'm working on you know a handful, half a dozen, um, you know stories either for this week or next week and just you know just anywhere i go i you know anywhere i've gone i've gone you know as not only somebody who lives in the community but somebody with a uh, notepad and uh so I've, you know again we'll be making sure that you know we talk to people we give them the uh the the privacy or or, or space that they need but also let them let them share their feelings that they need to as well yeah when i drove through cambridge on friday there were some official looking cars from pennsylvania I'm um, not sure what they were. They, you know, maybe they were government um, assisting documenting stuff, but it was, it was clearly not. They weren't tourists from Pennsylvania. <laughs> they were, they were official business looking people. Yeah, we were hearing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of joy, cries of joy uh, when they saw the Red Cross and FEMA truck showing up. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, I'm going to head to a break, and I know you've got to continue on your workload, but I really appreciate you coming on, Tommy, and uh, hope to have you back again soon. We can we can update on, uh, you know, how things are progressing and uh, how people can help. I appreciate you being on with me. I hope you guys get your phones back. All right. Thanks so much, Tommy. Take care. This is Brad Furlan, WDEV, Vermont Viewpoint. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan on Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in Historic Waterbury, Vermont. We're having a little bit of trouble with our phone lines this morning, so we're going to Plan B. And Plan B is that WDEV is 92 years old yesterday, 1931, which is just amazing. It's a beautiful old building. There's all these, I don't even, they haven't given me the secret handshake yet or uh, showed me all the rooms, but there's so many studios here in the studio that it's just amazing. And uh, I was just reading that the uh, Star Spangled Banner was adopted by the United States in 1931, and the Empire State Building was constructed and opened in 1931. So, and WDEV, so all important events in America. And this morning, my guests now are going to be WDEV longtime and uh, longtime radio folk, uh, uh, Corm, Steve Cormier, uh, Greg Titus is, uh, through the glass, uh, producing the show this morning. And, uh, we'll get Lee Cattell in, in a little bit, but I'll start with you, Corm. Uh, there was the mascots in radio were were dinosaurs when you started, right? Or... 
Yeah, they're all gone now. Uh, <laughs> that's the problem. But, uh, you know, I've been here at WDEV now for eight years. Um, you know, and I did a morning show for 18 years with Tom Brennan called Corman the Coach, and I had a great time doing that. But this is the most important job I've ever had uh, so far uh, as the general manager uh, of this radio station because of the, the legacy. Um, you, you have to, as Tommy Lasorda would say, you know, I, I bleed Dodger blue. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that color is here, but I bleed it, and I drink the Kool-Aid. I get it. I, I understand the importance of this special little place here in Waterbury that's been around for 92 years and what it does and what it like, what it did this past week. Yeah. Um, you know, people count on you. They depend on you, and uh, we show up. Yeah, and I will attest to um, I don't think Quorum ever sleeps because it can be a Sunday afternoon, I text him or email him. He's there right in quick response. It could be 11 o'clock at night. I don't, I don't know. Are, are you really a, a real person or are you just like a robot? Just just don't ask him about his just completed vacation. That's a sore subject with Corm right now. Uh, uh, Worst well, vacation ever because <laughs> uh, it was work. That's all I did was work. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had a we had late breakfast and early dinners, uh, my wife and I. But uh, I, I can't tell you how proud I am to be here. And how special this place is. And you, you look around here, and Lee Cattell's been here over 20 years. Greg Titus was here back in the 80s. Uh, he's back again. Uh, as I joked at the, the uh, Mountaineers game, I said, without Greg Titus, I would be dead. Uh, because he's, he's just Mr. Fillin. Yeah, and the, the problem you have these days is you, we can't find people. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but you, you can't find, you know, Brady Farkas is a young guy, but uh, trying to find people who, understand what we do here, want to get into radio, uh, it's difficult. So you rely on a much smaller staff, uh, but, boy, they are dedicated. Yeah, for sure. And so, Greg, uh, what got you into radio and how long ago was that? What was your what was your soul, uh, your soul feel for radio? Um, so I'm a, I'm a Navy brat. My father was in the Navy. My parents, born and raised in Stowe, uh, they actually, uh, they started dating in seventh grade, uh, got married, got married just out of high school. Uh, my father went in the Navy. So I started Armed Forces Radio because we were overseas for eight years. And, uh, they had, uh, I, I distinctly remember Wolfman Jack who I thought was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, also, they had a, he was a DJ out of Los Angeles in the 70s. He called back, and Corman, I remember this, this was MOR radio, middle of the road, and it was a guy named Roger Carroll. And Roger had the best radio voice I had ever heard in my life. So that, so that got me. I started working, um, I started working at, uh, the radio station on base in Zaragoza, Spain. Uh, I started there. It's funny, um, so in terms of, in terms of DEV and what it means. So like I said, my parents born and raised in Stowe. So when I got the job here, I called and let them know. And the first thing they asked me was, is music to go to the dump by still on? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 and again, and this was 1977. That's when I, that's when I first started working here. I, I worked here for, uh, uh, I worked, it was for six and a half years. Um, you talk about the anniversary. I remember the 50th year, which was 1981. I can still, those jingles just are burned in my brain. But Rusty Parker, so getting back to weather. So the story, Rusty was a baby in the 27 flood, and they literally had to float him. They put him in his crib and floated him out of the house. That's how deep the waters were here in Waterbury. And then, of course, Rusty ended up working here as the general manager for years and years. And if 
if you're curious, yes, that's who Rusty Parker Memorial Park is named after. So yeah, um, it, it's uh, it, it's I, I'm it's funny. Coram talks about um, you know how I'm sort of jack of all trades and master of none. Um, this is perfect for me because <laughs> no no this is this is what the, I, I always wanted. I loved radio. Radio is fantastic. It's it's a great way to make a living. Um, and I had to move on to things because I had a family and stuff. But this has been sort of a sort of a perfect marriage, I think, between um, between what the station needs and between what 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 I can do. So yeah, it's fantastic. And Coram, you were talking about the last week where we have this, you know, natural disaster. And, uh, we were just talking with Tommy Gardner. He's a newspaper reporter and radio is so important. And there's, there's sort of this feeling that, uh, radio and newspaper are, have, are bygone, but they're not. No. They are, they are like the heart of the community, really. Yeah. Stations like WDEV, um, I, they'll never go away. I get there are a million different music stations, and you can find music anywhere. Where can you find this? You can't. Yeah. You can't find it anywhere. Maybe in another small town in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, but 92 years of doing it right. Started back in 1931 with Harry Whitehill. Wow. And then his, I think it was his nephew, Bill Ricker and Lloyd Squire. And I love the stories that Ken tells about Lloyd trying to take his FCC engineering license and failing it twice miserably. Uh, and then they hired him to do other things here. And then when Whitehill passed away, I think it was 1935, Bill Ricker and Lloyd took over. And then uh, Bill Ricker went to war and got killed in World War II. Mm. And so Lloyd Squire took over. Uh, you know, the Squires haven't owned this station from day one. They certainly have been involved since day one. But Lloyd uh, to Ken, um, and that legacy and that thought that they have put into this station for all these years is what drives us. Yeah. What drives us to, to continue to do every day, try to do the right thing for the people that listen to this station and this, this community in central Vermont. And the, the Squires, since my grandparents were here in Waterbury, I remember we went to the Holiday Inn for special dinners, right? They had a beautiful dining room and eventually was named the Squire Dining Room. Looked out on the mountain, on Hunger Mountain and all of that. Gorgeous, great food, real, you know, the whole hometown thing. It just fits, right? And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Ken is, uh, everybody loves Ken. He's, he's a Waterbury boy. He went on to do... Big things all over the world. Yeah. But he comes back here because this is his home. Yeah. You know, people constantly ask about him. I understand he called in last week. Yep. Yep. He called, uh, he, he called to, he, he called Tuesday night, wanted to know what was going on, um, and said that we were, uh, said that we were doing a great job. And believe me, as someone who's had lots of experience with Ken's feedback, <laughs> when Ken says you've done a good job, you take it and you cherish it. Um, put it in writing, Ken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I have, uh, Heritage Festival and Homecoming Days are almost sorry. here. Festival activities kick off. I did not mean to play that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is so, live radio. Yeah, this folks. is yeah, this is live radio. So, and and, and the thing, so and, and again, I I have I could tell stories for 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 an hour. Uh, when I was I started doing play by play here uh, in the late seventies, and Ken, of course, Ken was jetting all over the world. He'd come back every two or three weeks, and I would take air checks of the games. And Ken and I would go down into the mezzanine studio, and it was a couple of very very painful hours because and, and the thing 
is, I'm a 22, 23 year old snot nosed kid. I'm not really going to tell Ken Squire that he's absolutely full of it and what I'm doing is right. But the experience was great. He worked with me for two years and it was basically like five or six years of experience. So yeah, he's, he's always been involved and you always, um, you, you, you tend to always think of Ken sort of looking over your shoulder when you do anything on the station because he's still so involved. Yeah, I, I, I say this to people that the real love of Ken Squire's life is this radio station. Um, anyways, I'm yeah. going to take a break here. So I'm talking with Steve Cormier, station manager here, and Greg Titus. We hopefully will get Leon in a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after this. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan on Vermont Viewpoint WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We're having a little bit of phone issue this morning, so we've gone to Plan B and I'm excited on this. This is the uh, 92nd year anniversary of WDEV. We were just talking a little bit with uh, Greg Titus, which we will still be doing, and uh, Corm, Steve Cormier, station manager. And sitting with me now is Lee Cattell, who's got a little radio in his soul. <laughs> uh, I've been here a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, it seems that long. I- 2000. I got to get closer to the mic. You'd think it's my first day. Greg's telling me the things that a first day person would know. Hey, uh, yeah, 20, oof, 22 years and counting it's been. Wow. And you were telling me off air that you uh, get up at O Dark 30 and get in your car when there's no lights or human existence. My 24 hour routine is up at 2 and then uh, on the road at 2.30 into Waterbury at 3.30, and then prepping until 5 o'clock when we go on the air. Wow. And that's uh, five, six days a week? Uh, five. Thank you. Mostly five days a week. Yeah, It used to be six. Ken Squire was very much like God in that day. The I own six. <laughs> the seventh day belongs to you, but the other six, they're all mine. Well, we need Moses to part some water, so maybe uh, Ken oh. can do that for us. So what was, why radio? What, what inspired you for, for this, uh, journey? Well, I always felt, even though I was very skilled at math, I always felt I was going to be compensated for communication. I really wanted to be the radio play-by-play guy for the Red Sox when mm-hmm. they finally won the World Series. You'd be good at that. And that was my, that was my dream for a long time. And then I won it, so I needed to come up with I don't know, something else. So, uh, but, you know, to communicate either, as either going to be a politician or a, a lawyer or, you know, radio. And I really thought, like, radio was the most intellectually honest of the three professions. So hmm. that's what kind of pushed me this way. Yeah. And what were some of the big stories over the years that come to mind? Any Anything above and beyond? Well, the big stints around here, of course, have usually centered around our weather-related disasters. Roger Hill and uh, and I did two stints there uh, for uh, in 2011, and of course uh, Eric Michaels and and Tom Beardsley covering Irene and and then the storm in May, which also, you know, created quite a swath through the state. Uh, so those those have been part of it. My my single favorite moment on WDEV was the overnight after the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004 
You know, we had to carry ESPN radio, so we got their delivery of the game. But when they won it, people were so wound up. And when the post game ended, we usually, back in those days, would go off the air and immediately and then head off until 4 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd do get on in the morning. Uh, but that morning, and it was probably 12.30, 1 o'clock by the time the post game ended, but I flipped the mic on and said, if anybody wants to call and share how they feel about this this moment, you can call in. And the phones just, for a couple more hours, people were just called in too excited to sleep and didn't have anybody. I mean, if they were, if you were alone in your house... You well, now you're jump jumping. For joy yeah, and you're jumping with everybody. Yeah, yeah, you're jumping up and down. There's no one there to see it. And 86 years of angst release. So yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it, it was uh, it, it was crying explosion on the part of people. It was a cathartic, wonderful moment that a lot of people thought they would never live long enough to see. Many did not, uh, but those of us who did were were grateful. And I still, I still think about 2004 with very fond memories. Both. Being a part of what was happening with it as this station and in covering it from our angles uh, to uh, to living it on a personal level. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I again I think that's one of the one of the cool things about about this station and you sort of uh, we're sort of used to it so you sort of take it for granted. But yeah, it's a it's a place it's a place where the community can come together when the phones are working. If, um, if I was going to say that's <laughs> one of the things we're deprived of this morning. But no, and, and, and it's, I've all, again, I was, I mean, so I worked here full time, 77 to 84. I did stuff on and off, you know, for, for like, God, I'm trying to think how old I am, 25 to 25 or 30 years. Um, but, um, it's still, you, you sort of, you sort of always knew it was there. And when you think of the people that we have here, so, so Lee's been here for 20 years, but you've got Jack Donovan, who was my mentor when I started here in 1977. We've got Greg Hooker, who worked at NCS in Montpelier for years and years and years and has uh, forgotten more about Vermont music uh, than I'll ever know. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much, it's very much a local experience, which I think, which I think people really, really appreciate. It's changed a little bit. We stream now. I mean, there's a lot of folks that don't listen to us on there. I mean, and, and I'm old. I remember transistor radios, right? Yeah. Uh, but you don't do that now. You listen on your laptop. You listen on your phone. But, 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 but we're still there. And I think it's something that people really appreciate. One thing Ken always worked very hard at was staying in the, staying in the moment and being in the scene of the most relevant moments. And when I think about this station, some of the other great moments have been candidate debates and, and interviews that have come, you know, during this, during this particular period, conversations with, with people of great relevance talking about issues that everybody's thinking about at a particular time. And, and the fact that, yeah, somebody out there can ring up and, and talk to the important people that we have on the air is another great connection because we have a lot of Internet, but sometimes it can be very hard to talk to the people that matter directly, and uh, having this radio station is one way to and get then that done. For, forget about all the old people here. We've got Brady Farkas, and, and you, you listen to Brady, and he's got his his connections. And, again, it's, it's, always, uh, it's amazing to me that at a local radio station like here that, that Brady can find the people that he does to be able to talk on the air. And again, it's just a, it, it's another thing, uh, it's another thing that we do here. I can remember the, the first, uh, and we still do the same thing now. It's been, it's been 
uh, it, it's been over 40 years. But I, I, the first election I covered here, I was at election, I was at election central in Montpelier. Mm. Uh, and it was sort of like being an air traffic controller, you know, with all the stuff coming in, but it was great. It felt, it felt fantastic. And, uh, yeah, it was stuff that we were staying on top of. So. So you're both radio personalities, long time. When you're out on the street, uh, do people know you? Are you, uh, are you stopped? Do they hear your voice go, oh, Lee Cattell, Greg Titus, what, what's your celebrity status in the world? <laughs> it's almost non-existent. In fact, I would give it no celebrity status. I would give it a, maybe a certain level of, of recognition, but, no, celeb- I think you're humble. I don't, I don't but. think celebrity hits the spot. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so I'm. So I've lived here. I've I've lived here since 1977. So I know a lot of people. And what I get is, oh, it's great. It's great to hear you back in the air. Um, I get a couple jokes about, do you need to be over 70 to work at the radio station? But that's you know that, that, that's another that's another matter entirely. But but no, it's uh and but but what's really cool is I've been. I've gone to random places and people hear the voice. Yeah. Um, I can remember uh, we used to have UVM hockey tickets and there was a couple that sat in front of us and one of them turned around to me and said, do you work for WDEV? Well, it turned out that they had heard me doing Lamoille, uh, uh, Lamoille basketball games on the radio. So uh, apparently my voice still stuck with them after 30 something years. So, but no, it was just a, it's a, it's a very, very pleasant conversation. And yeah. It's nice to have a little notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, notoriety is a bad word, a little attention. Notoriety Variety is frowned upon here, so yeah, we'll, we'll move past. That. I'm, I'm I'm thinking of the Red Sox again, Lee, and in whatever year it was, I remember Carl Yuskremski running back, running back, running back to the wall, and jumping and leaping as high as he possibly can, and and catching a ball that was going for the home run, and he stole it and brought it down, and a lot of moments like that in Red Sox history. They they kept people right on the edge of our seats uh, for for a long long time. And that's another thing. So Red Sox baseball. I don't know when we started doing that here, but but to me, baseball is the perfect sport for radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you know you're driving and it's it's. It's relaxed. It's a lot quicker now, which I think is a good thing, thanks to the pitch clock. Uh, but uh, it's just if you're driving around on a spring or summer evening and you put the radio on and you hear a game, it's just uh, it, it says it, that says that says summer to me. So yeah, and I I don't know when did we start doing the Red Sox? Uh, I, I yeah I don't I I do not know, but I know that. Uh, well, my first attention to WDEV came when we had to wake up in the morning to find out if there was school the next day or not. <laughs> school then, closing. Stuff. Then came the Red Sox. I started following them in Black '78, and, uh, and that was an, an early lesson on what life would be like as a Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Red Sox fans still twitch when you mentioned 1978. Oh, that was a rough one. Yeah, there are some names you don't want to name. Uh, we were talking this weekend, ironically, about when they mic up um, the coach and a uh, and a ref. Sometimes I saw some YouTube videos, and we wouldn't even be able to have them on the air because there was so much profanity. It'd be nice if people could learn to communicate again without all that nastiness. Yeah, so this is uh, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. We're reminiscing. We don't even have a beeper for crying out loud. Yeah, well, we maybe we don't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking with Lee Cattell and Greg Titus and Steve Cormier, station manager. 
Uh, it's Vermont Viewpoint, WDEB. A little problem with the phones this morning, but uh, we're, we go to Plan B and uh, radio goes on, no problem. We're going to take a short break, and I'll be back uh, with uh, Melinda White, Don Tatro uh, from Jenna's Promise, Melinda White from Howard Center, right after this. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. WDEV Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, we're having a little phone um, issue this morning, so we're... We've been going to Plan B, and Plan B means uh, using my cell phone with my guests. Uh, and I want to welcome to the show uh, Don Tetro and Melinda White. Um, Melinda is with Howard Center, and Don is with Jenna's Promise. So welcome both to the show. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. Um, so... Don, we were just talking off air, or maybe a little bit on air. Um, Johnson's been quite a mess. Uh, I was talking with Tommy Gardner earlier, Cambridge Johnson, along with you know many communities in Vermont. But you you guys were personally hit too with the recovery center with Jenna's Promise. Uh, was was Jenna's Promise up at the church? Was that impacted, or or really your Main Street stuff? No, Jenna's house was um, was high enough. The, the main impact was really um, the sober house. Um, we had to evacuate that and, you know, lost all the furniture. And and also, so there's, we're down, you know, five beds right now. Uh, luckily, we we're a low census, so we were able to consolidate everybody. Um, and then the health center is pretty much um, a loss right now. So that's really got hit hard. Um, oh my goodness. Um, it's just on and on and on. We're hearing these, these stories of how profound rain damage can be and flooding. So I'm really sorry for that, Don. And, um, I do know the, the character and fortitude of you and, and Greg and, and your, your son. So, uh, it's, you, you've never, uh, shied in the face of adversity. So I know you'll come through this. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, and put it out to listeners. If, if you have resource or, you know, if Jenna's Promise is a, is a, a major, uh, part of recovery in, in, certainly in Johnson and in Vermont. Uh, if you've got things you can help with, uh, I'm sure that they would welcome that. Uh, and we'll get to some websites and stuff in a little bit. Um, Melinda, um, you are at Howard Center. Is is Howard Center seeing a lot of uh, unusual activity from from all the storm and floodings, or or is it sort of business as usual? I think for us, you know, the location that we're at, at least in the northern outpatient spoke in St. Albans, we weren't harmed by the storm, but many of our partners and patients have been affected in a big way. So. It has had an impact on a number of the people that either we serve or we partner with. Um, and even, you know, having Dawn on the call, my heart just goes out to you, Dawn. I know it's so challenging. And when I saw that, how hard Johnson had been hit, it's heartbreaking for, you know, the, the 
pay from the places that are trying to support the individuals we serve and also are going through humongous challenges of their own. And I just hope and pray that the communities continue to pull together and help each other. I think that's one of the things that Vermont does very well, and I continue to see those stories. Yeah, I was, yeah, and our hearts all go out to you, Don. It's just, it's so hard, and and you know, it brings us to the topic of recovery and addiction, and that you know, people need the resources that you're offering on on an everyday basis, and uh, so it it must be difficult now to try to reroute people who are reaching out to you. Are there are you finding that you can sort of uh, get people into other venues, or or is it is it just really stark and hard? Well, I think what from you know all our things and I and everything is still going strong. Um, you know what really affects the housing. You know we have constant flow of residents coming in, um, and you know we have to tell them now that. We can't take them. And, you know, they've been through either Valley Vista or, or Serenity House. And when they get done the program, they have nowhere to go, and um, which is really heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, we're trying to, you know, send them to V4 and stuff. Um, but there is not a lot of options out there for housing right now. Yeah, and we'll be talking a little bit later in the show with – um, Tony O'Shaughnessy, who's with Granite Recovery in New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, one of the premises of that conversation is, um, bed sharing, so to speak, meaning Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, if, if, if we don't have beds, maybe, uh, not maybe, they, they have beds and how we can facilitate getting through a little bit of the political red tape to help with that. So, uh, we'll be welcoming Tony. Uh, into the conversation in a little bit. Um, so Melinda, you are part of a, not part of, you are like the key person in coming together a substance use addiction summit that's coming up on Friday, August 11th at the Champlain Valley Expo. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about that event and, and sort of the purpose? Absolutely. I am so excited about the event, and I was out of state and offline last week and yet still kept up with communication, and we have over 60 booths, excuse me, registered already and more on the way to sign up for registration. Um, As you mentioned, it is on Friday, August 11th at the Champlain Valley Expo. The summit itself with summit speakers begins at 10 a.m. until 11.30 a.m., And then the booth room opens at noon. We've got some fantastic sponsors, some fantastic partners holding booths. We've got some wonderful speakers. Well, one of the speakers we're bringing from out of state is Maureen Cavanaugh, the author of the book, If You Love Me. It's a mother's journey through her daughter's opioid addiction. We've got Project Vision. We've got, of course, the wonderful Greg and Don Tatro. Uh, VTAR, which is the Vermont Alliance for Recovery Residences, and especially the health department sharing the statistics, which is the painful information to hear, but also the, the why of why we're doing this. It is so we can work towards solution to the growing numbers of people struggling with substance use and having fatal um, outcomes, especially because the substances that are being misused these days are so much stronger than the ones that we knew, you know, five and ten years ago. 
Um, so I'm really excited about this event and about the energy that's been wound up around it. Um, and especially, of course, for you, Brad, as the uh, co-founder for making it happen. Well, um, you're a rock star on all of this, as Don is, too. And you mentioned Don and Greg are speaking. They are um, really uh, the tradition. They, this will be the third summit that they will be presenting. And the thing, Don, that I, I have taken home to heart is you really talk about um, the addicted person being a person, that they're, they are human beings, beating heart, soul, and, you know, and we often confuse the addiction with the person. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, I, you know, that's so, you hit it right on the uh, nose, uh, Brad. It's, it's, these people have, um, they've been hijacked, right? Their brains have been hijacked. And, you know, I just was meeting with someone on uh, this weekend and they're like, they're a professional and they're like, you know, they they have their brains just do not react like a, a normal uh, people do. And once you get them sober and stuff, you see that person in there again. Um, but because of the strength of these drugs out here right now, it's it's really a crazy. It's crazy. Um, we're you know we're seeing a lot of sores and um, you know these the trank from the horse tranquilizer and mather. Uh, new, you know, new drugs coming in, new way to have to handle it. Narcan doesn't work with that. And so, um, you know, we're trying to get those people in and just kind of give them the resources we need to um, get them uh, thinking correctly, you know, get them sober. Yeah, and, and we've talked about you you and Greg um, renovated a building. It took months and months and months to get through permit process and all of that, but you succeeded, you persevered. And it's a, it's an amazing concept because you have people in recovery are there on the ground working. It's an amazing uh, venue, uh, and delicious food. I, I stop when I can, but I try to, sometimes I don't because my stomach says, don't do that again. You, you've eaten eight muffins. <laughs> Uh, but it's just a lovely place and, um, but it, you walk the walk, you know, these are, you're giving, uh, people in recovery a chance. First of all, workforce development is so important to get self-esteem back, to, to earn some money and to really recover their lives. And you've got a format that goes way beyond what is traditionally a, you know, what we think of as a two-week clinical kind of process, and it's much more than that. Is that right? I think, you know, what we believe in is if you give people and self-worth, then they excel um, because when they are in their addiction, they really feel like they um, are worthless. They have no self-esteem. And, you know, with the cafe, we're lucky enough to be able to teach them skill and and a connection because the community's coming in every day and and talking with residents that are working there and um all of a sudden they're no different than anyone else and in, and plus the community also say looking at people like they're in recovery mm-hmm. um because obviously you know they don't um uh, they they don't look like it different than any of us but, um, so it's kind of really powerful 
see the community being part of this whole um, recapture process. And then also giving something back in the community. Yeah. So I'm talking this morning uh, with uh, Don Tetro and Melinda White, Melinda White with Howard Center and Don Tetro with Jenna's Promise. We're going to take a short break. This is Brad Furlan, uh, WDEV, Vermont Viewpoint. We'll be right back after this. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan, WDEV, Vermont Viewpoint in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Uh been a little rain lately. Uh, I think people were collecting animals two by two. Uh, the river's flooded, uh, and uh, it's affected a lot of uh, things in Vermont. When I was driving in from St. Albans this morning, it was sunny when I left. It was absolutely beautiful. And when I hit around Jonesville, it was like um, the Dark Creature movie started, and uh, I was... Uh, some rain and all of that. So, uh, uh, and we're having a little trouble with our phone lines here at WDV this morning. I've got my, um, four guests now on, uh, my, um, cell phone. So we're, we're going to persevere with, uh, the technology that we have. Um, I will, uh, welcome to the show, uh, Lila Bennett and, uh, Tony O'Shaughnessy. Uh, Tony with, uh, Granite Recovery in New Hampshire. And, uh, Lila is with Journey to Recovery Community Center. Uh, Lila, we've all also talked over the years. You've written, um, some great, um, books that help save people's lives. And, uh, uh, so all of you on the call, welcome. And, uh, you have a lot of hats that, that involve a lot of helping people. So I appreciate that. So, yeah, uh, well, it's, it's wonderful to have you. Um, Melinda, I want to, um, get back a little bit more to the summit, um, in, you know, through the next few minutes. Uh, it's at the Champlain Valley Expo, as you mentioned, begins at 10 a.m. Um, the public are invited and welcome, right? Is what, what part of that? And is, is there a cost involved? And yeah, thank you, Brad. So, There is no charge whatsoever. This event is open to the public, and our goal is to get as many members of the public, not just statewide, but New England. We have community partners coming from various states. We have everything from medical to residential, inpatient, outpatient. We've got community partners that address food insecurity, housing insecurity, education, transportation. The beauty of the summit is that it's not only focused on the use of substances because that's just a small symptom of the underlying problem. Often it's, if you look at the social matrix and it's just the person's overall recovery capital, healthy relationships, access to health care, to food and whatnot. So we're going to have so many fantastic partners there that want to share about their organizations to the public. So the event is open. There's no registration required for people to show up. For any organization wanting to register for a booth, we're also not charging for the booths. There is a re- registration um, asked so we can organize those and have good placement for them. Um, and for the, the booths, they open at noon that day. So the booth room will open. And, again, we'll have – if I had to estimate, I think we're going to be right up to the 100 booth um, mark. We're, we're already quite close to that. And I am continuing to sift through emails from different partners as I return to the state this weekend. 
So really looking forward to both the networking aspects of this for the community partners and also sharing with the public. It's a great opportunity for family members too. And that's a big piece that we're highlighting more this summit than the other summits is that family members continually want to learn what the resources are, how to support their loved ones struggling, but especially how do they keep themselves healthy through that process and learn a little bit of discernment around what's enabling versus what is loving and compassionate. So there's going to be resources that address almost every one of those questions that we often get from people looking for resources. And people can walk in real incognito, right? Um, if you've got an uncle or a child or a friend or something and and you just don't know where to turn, which often is the case, uh, you can come to the summit, right, Melinda, and, 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 and hopefully find what you need. That's, you know, that's the beauty of the summit is that there's going to be so many different attractions, including even entertainment and musicians, that if somebody is still feeling uncomfortable because of the negative bias or, you know, stigma that can be attached to substance use, that nobody's going to know the specific reason you're showing up. You know, there is there are everything from colleges that are going to be there to substance use providers. So if somebody wants to be able to show up and not feel like they're being watched because they have a problem or they may know somebody who does, then nobody's going to know. And that's the beauty of it. There's so many different angles to this summit that a person can comfortably just come and learn more, and they don't have to disclose anything they're not comfortable disclosing, but they can get as much information as they need. Yeah, and Don, the 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 Vermont statistics have been um, very stark. We have the health department coming to the summit. Dr. Levine will be talking. Somebody from the health department as well with the with the data. Monica Hutt, who is uh, represents the governor, uh, will be uh, speaking in the beginning of the summit. And and yet you and not and yet, but significantly you and and Greg really talk about. Um, you know, the, the loss of your daughter and the, how this, this is occurring every day in Vermont. This isn't like something that's, uh, we can sweep under the carpet. This is, this is real world and you see it every day with Jenna's promise. You're right, Brad. I see it every day and I hear it every day from other families, you know, and they're going through the same thing and they're desperate for research to save their family and um, you know and it's it's not getting any better the drugs are as I said are getting worse and um, so um, you know we really try to offer a wraparound service for you know with a lot of different uh, clinical and housing and uh, workforce development yeah um, the long term approach really seems to be what the boots on the ground folks are seeing as the best route. Um, it's not that the, the short-term clinical is, is a bad thing. It's just, it's all hands on deck kind of, kind of thing. And in fact, I was over in, in Stowe on Friday, um, to sauna. Uh, it's a, it's a recovery center over there. Uh, there are no economic boundaries to addiction. It's from, you know, it, it can affect anybody, uh, is what we're seeing. Uh, you've, you know, the, so, um, it's important that, um, if you need resources, they are out there. And, and Melinda, the, the summit is August 11th, um, at the fairgrounds. Um, the, the booths are, 
opening at 12 p.m., but people really would will learn a lot in the summit presentation. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of the speakers and where where they'll be headed with their with their remarks? Absolutely. Yeah, Brad. So from 10 o'clock to 11.30 a.m. is when the summit portion happens. And for the speakers, we have the health department that is going to be sharing some statistics. And they're, you know, I'm not going to lie, they're a little bit gloomy to see those numbers going up of the people that we're losing. And yet that's the clarity and why we're all gathering to begin with. And we do have Dr. Levine that's going to be joining us. We also have Monica Hutt. Um, and then we're going to have VTAR, which is the Vermont Alliance for Recovery Residences, share about the, their organization. Um, I'm actually on the board of VTAR myself, too, and we certify recovery residences in the state of Vermont based off the national model NAR, which is the National Alliance for Recovery Residences. And we wanted to highlight this piece because there can often be some confusion around a halfway house sober house versus a certified recovery residence. So we're going to share some of the info on that. And then, of course, we have Greg and Don sharing about Janice Thomas, which is one of our absolutely amazing certified recovery residences in the state of Vermont. And their model is one that we're hoping can be replicated across the state by others because it's so effective. And then we're also going to be having Maureen Cavanaugh, as I mentioned, the author of the book, If You Love Me. And she also has Magnolia New Beginnings, which is support groups and education for family members to learn how to keep themselves healthy, which ultimately can be better support to their loved ones that may be struggling. Um, and then we've got uh, Project Vision. So Commander Prouty, and I'm super excited about him joining us this year. To me, he's been a pillar in Vermont for years um, when we're looking at the partnerships between law enforcement and health care and treatment recovery centers. They've got a very strong, robust relationship with the Turning Point Center of Rutland. And, of course, following Commander Prouty will be Tracy Hawk, who is the director of the Rutland Turning Point. Um, and then we have Teen Challenge joining us again, too, which, you know, we're super excited about the programs that they have and that they can share. And then, you know, to dovetail nicely, we have Anthony O'Shaughney that's going to be sharing about Granite Recovery Centers. And I can say personally with the work I do for the Turning Point and for the Howard Center that I am reaching out to Granite Recovery Centers every single week, whether it's with a question, whether it's sending somebody there or following up on people we have there. They are just an amazing partner. So we're going to make sure that their programs are highlighted this year as well. I'm talking this morning with uh, Melinda White and with Don Tetro, uh, Don with Jenna Promise, uh, Melinda with Howard Center. We also have on the line Anthony O'Shaughnessy and uh, Lila Bennett, who's with Journey to Recovery Community. Anthony is with Granite Recovery Center, as Melinda said. Um, we're going to be talking more about uh, a tri-state uh, model and about uh, New Hampshire recovery because uh, they they're really doing some some amazing things over there as Melinda said uh, and uh, we're just you know every, it's all hands on deck in recovery and in addiction and in in how we can uh, help save lives uh, this is uh, Brad Furlan on Vermont viewpoint uh, we're going to take a short break and we will be back right after this. It's Brad Furlan, your host on Vermont Viewpoint here on WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. A kind of wet Waterbury, wet Vermont. Um, we're experiencing a little bit of phone problems this morning, so we're 
we're doing Plan B at WDEV, and I've got um, four great guests on the on the line, which is unusual for me to have uh, four at once. But it's it's a perfect model for our discussion. We're talking about recovery and an addiction, um, and I have been talking with Melinda White from the Howard Center and Don Tetro from Jenna's Promise. Uh, I want to welcome to the show um, Anthony O'Shaughnessy from Granite Recovery and Lila Bennett from Journey to Recovery Community Center and also an author on uh, recovery uh, books. So wel- welcome, uh, Anthony and Lila, to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Brad. It's great having – I want to um, – I'm going to return um, briefly – uh, to Melinda, just there were a couple other things on the summit that I think um, you wanted to cover, and I want to make sure we do that, and then we'll we'll jump into um, Anthony and Lila. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, the other thing that I wanted to make a mention of is that there are going to be breakout rooms happening during the booth portion of the summit, so from 12 to 4. And in those breakout rooms, we're going to have the intersection with the criminal justice system and treatment and recovery centers. Um, we're going to have, again, Project Vision is going to be sharing about their programs, and the Rutland Turning Point will share about their embedded recovery coaches with law enforcement, Department of Corrections, and the Emergency Department. We're also working with the Drug Treatment Court and have an individual from Howard Center that will be sharing about that partnership. Um, Maureen Cavanaugh is going to be holding a couple of the support groups that she does through Magnolia New Beginnings, so that will be available to family members and people in recovery that just want to be able to learn more about her programs. And then Dr. Suzanne White, who is a board-certified in addiction medicine, um, board-certified psychologist and naturopath, osteopath, uh, amazing. I look at her as my Jedi master, and she's going to be sharing about the science of addiction in the brain. So we're going to have those breakout rooms. And the other thing is we're going to have some smaller rooms available, private rooms for uh, treatment consultation. So if somebody goes to the summit and is struggling, there's going to be access to getting to connected to resources right there on the spot in a private room. There's also RAM, which is Rapid Access MAT. So there's going to be some services provided to individuals showing up in need. And that's something new this year. So I just wanted to make sure to highlight those breakout rooms and services. That's terrific. And, and we're talking about a uh, recovery summit that is happening uh, in August and open to the public. Uh, we'll have a little more details at the end of the show on that. Um, wanna, um, Anthony O'Shaughnessy, Granite Recovery, I want to let listeners know that um, you certainly have been viewed like uh, Superman in your help to Vermont and that Granite Recovery is just an amazing uh, center of, of a to Z kind of recovery. Uh, can you help um, our listeners a little bit with with about Granite Recovery and, and what you do and what the approaches are? Sure, thanks, Brad. Um, first, just want to thank Lila, Don, Melinda, and of course you. The, the three women here on the show have been uh, amazing partners with Granite Recovery Centers and with me specifically. So. Thank you. And, and because we've all worked together so closely, we've been able to help dozens and dozens and dozens of Vermonters find access to, to treatment and to find um, long-term recovery. But I think what Granite Recovery has attempted to do and, and I think has been pretty successful is really disrupt the way uh, that people access not only substance use disorder treatment, 
but mental health treatment more recently. So really providing just rapid access to both individuals who are calling in can be admitted to one of our programs within a matter of hours, literally. Um, but additionally, I think there's so much data out there that demonstrates longer durations in treatment um, lead to better outcomes. And so whether that's in an inpatient or outpatient setting, uh, but longer durations. And what we've done here is provide really a full continuum of care so people are able to engage in treatment with us in a controlled setting, a recovery environment, with housing for up to 90 days, and at times even with our veterans and some of the mental health psych patients, um, four months. And so the way we're able to do that is, you know, clients or individuals in Vermont, for example, looking to go to treatment in a traditional residential program, insurance will cover it for 14 or 17 days, and then they're back to their community. They're barely stable. Um, they probably haven't been stabilized on whatever medications they need to be on and likely aren't even feeling that good yet to be returning to the community. And what we've done is in addition to that residential level of care for, you know, 15 to 28 days, we're providing um, outpatient levels of care, partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient, again, traditionally delivered in an outpatient setting, but we provide the recovery housing. And so with that, we're able to keep folks in a safe, controlled environment for longer durations. And, um, you know, a lot of times with some of these Vermonters, they come to treatment at Granite Recovery in New Hampshire. We've got five locations and roughly 400 beds. They have a great experience. They connect with others in treatment. And there's a very robust recovery community here in southern New Hampshire especially. So a lot of them are staying. There's lots of these sober recovery residences, and, and um, they're finding jobs and, and long-term recovery, able to attend meetings and other outpatient levels of care and really stay engaged um, here in, in New Hampshire. My goal is that we want them going back to Vermont and, and contributing to that community. And so what I propose to Vermont ADAP and what um, John and Lila and I and Melinda have, have talked about, and we've got some momentum um, trying to work some reciprocity. So getting an RFP, a request for proposal, to allow Vermonters with Vermont Medicaid to come to our state to get treatment with us for up to 90 days and then ultimately return to Vermont. Um, we haven't been able to do that with the reciprocity. We're, we're hopeful, again, more momentum than ever, and we'll rely on Don and Lyle and Melinda and others in that community to help um, with that effort. So I'll, I'll pass it over to back to you, Brad. Thank you, guys. Yeah, well, Thank you so much for that. And it, it, it's, it sounds to me like it's really bureaucracy, um, at its finest that's making this prohibitive. And, um, when you mentioned 400 beds or more and, and uh, the availability, um, Don and Lila, can, can you weigh in a little bit on that, um, about, you know, if somebody wants a bed in Vermont, how, how quickly is access uh, these days in real-world time? Um, I think it's for us, 
you know, our phone lines are, you know, right there directly to the population for, uh, you know, help. And when people are coming in and asking for help, it's been three weeks. And I know that it gets very frustrating for a lot of families when they call and their son or daughter or spouse is all of a sudden ready. And we say you have to wait three weeks. Um, and when I can call over to, you know, New Hampshire and get them in within hours, um, you know, it's, it's really a totally different animal and makes such a difference. And I just want to um, comment on Tony, too, on his, uh, you know, we're taking people from um, residents here that have been in for 14 days in Vermont and then taking them from Granite that's been there 30 days. There is no comparison on how ready, much more ready people are, and how the success is so much higher. Wow. And Lila, are you you're seeing the same thing? Yeah. So we um, we have a little bit of a different <clears throat> um, experience because we were having the same trouble of not being able to get anybody into treatment for weeks at a time. And so we collected the data, and last November we opened a social detox bed. We only have one. Um, and so we've been able, if, if a person is ready and we can't get them into treatment, we can hold them in our bed until they can get into treatment, but it's still it's only one bed. And we are working with, um, we only have two um, inpatient rehab facilities in Vermont, and so they are so backed up. So even though we can get one person at a time in maybe a little bit more quickly, all the rest of the people are still trying to get into treatment. It takes Sometimes it takes a week to even get a phone call back. And working with someone like Don or myself who understands the system and we can navigate the system, we can help people, but but really someone who's just coming off the street is going to have a terrible, very discouraging time because there's just not enough beds, there's not enough people. And and the treatment is, like Tony said, it's, it's only two weeks. And so even though two weeks is better than no weeks, it's just not long enough for someone to be really ready for the next level. Um, and so being able to have that longer level and it's also like what i what i observe with people going to the the treatment program at granite recovery is that it's 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 about uh it's trauma informed it's about mindfulness it's about like learning about the root causes of how you got there in the first place and that's a lot of what is the missing link when we are trying to support people to change their lives away from substance use is that um, it's that deeper understanding of how they got there. And it takes much longer than two weeks to be able to get to the bottom of that. And like Don said, you know, stabilized medication, or maybe that was Tony. Um, there's just so many different pieces that go into helping someone and I don't want to sound like we don't appreciate what is being done by the treatment centers here in Vermont. Because of our insurance and our Medicaid billing, it's it's not that they don't want to have people for longer. It's that the billing doesn't work that way. And 
they are allowed to keep people for longer. And so it's really about, you know, what we need to be talking about is how to rethink what the needs are. And as um, our substance use problem is changing in the state, um, we, we have to be even more um, flexible about what we're doing and what we're offering. And I think that the community needs to understand that um, that our, our epidemic of substance use, whether it's alcohol or um, opiates or crack cocaine or whatever, it's, it's really pervasive and it does not discriminate around economic um, opportunity. And it's affecting all different kinds of people, and it is trauma-based. And um, we need to be—we need to all be aware of that and understand that it's—it's it's a longer-term um, solution that that we need to be looking at. Yeah, well said. Um, we're talking this morning with Melinda White uh, with Howard Center, Don Tatro with Generous Promise. Anthony O'Shaughnessy from Granite Recovery and Lila Bennett from uh, Journey to Recovery Community Center. Uh, we're going to take a real short break, and we'll be back uh, right after this. WDEV, Vermont Viewpoint. Good, good morning. It's Brad Furlan on Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont. Wet Waterbury, we'll call it. Um, if there was a third W, it'd be an alliteration, and my seventh grade English teacher would be happy with me. Um, we're talking this morning with Melinda White, um, Don Tatro, Anthony O'Shaughnessy, and Lila Bennett, all um, uh, working on uh, components of recovery. And, you know, I, Lila, I just want to say, I'll echo what you said, and then we'll go over to Anthony for a minute. Um None of this is is to to look at um, where where there are problems so much as where there are solutions. And um, uh, Anthony, I really appreciate you being with us this morning because you're seeing um, a more global picture than sometimes we get here in Vermont, um, unless you're the boots on the ground like Don and and Melinda and Lila. But can you give us a little more sense of Sort of global solutions on on the the problems that we're talking about. Sure, and um, you know while I before I do that, I just referring to an email I have open here from a woman who is a housing case manager at Groundworks Collaborative in Brattleboro, and she reached out to me. She's got homeless individuals with Vermont Medicaid not able to get them into treatment right away, and wondering if they can come to Granite and. I guess um, with that, I think uh, what what what's happening in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine, and New Hampshire um, is, in addition to the residential treatment that we've talked so much about, where they're only able to stay for 14 to 17 days, what these other states, including New Hampshire, have done, these treatment providers are offering that. PHP and IOP level of care, partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient, both delivered traditionally in an outpatient setting. But these programs are all offering the housing component so that folks can stay in that controlled setting for longer. And then the insurance companies are being asked to reimburse at a much lower rate than that residential level of care. They're paying an outpatient rate to the treatment providers 
And, and I think that could be one really creative possible solution for Vermont to look at. We're doing it throughout New England. Dozens and dozens of providers are, are offering those levels of care with housing. If Vermont were able to do that, I think we'd be able to solve some of this problem. But in the meantime, Granite is here um, open to working with the state of Vermont with a, at, at a rate that is in line with our New Hampshire Medicaid reimbursement rates. They're, they're very modest, affordable, um, and we're here to help if, if needed. Yeah, and we know that there are no borders for recovery, so uh, certainly it, it's it's intuitive uh, to to state share, as you say. Uh, Lila, did you have something you wanted to add? Or yes, I did. I just wanted to jump in and just um, reiterate that the reason that Tony's pro- or Anthony's program works so well is because of that. Um, not only is it just like longer care; it's that it's that step down program. So it's sort of teaching people how to re-enter. It's that controlled environment. And that's why Jenna's Promise works, too, is because it's about that. It's about creating the lifestyle. And that's what we have to be focusing on here is that, like, we have a tremendous number of people who are struggling with substance use here in our state, and they um, go down a path that makes them not be able to work. And what we what we're missing is creating the recovery community. So what happens is when we have people who we can send to Granite Recovery, I'm I'm excited about it because I know that they're going to step down and enter into a workforce in southern New Hampshire, and they're protected because there's so many other people who are, like, on the same path. And it's sad because we need that here. You know, like, there's, there's so much staff shortage in, in so many of our small businesses, but we have to kind of send people out of state because of the recovery support. So, like Tony said, if we could, um, if we could replicate that here in Vermont, I think we would alleviate all of the pressure in our current inpatient treatment centers, and we would be strengthening, strengthening our own community, and we just have such a need for that. So, that's what I'm looking forward to being being able to create as we go forward is really looking at that longer term systemic change that will end up helping all of us. And it puts us in the driver's seat of like instead of being out of control with the substance use problem, I think if we if we turn it around, um, we can we can really strengthen our entire community and our entire state. Yeah, um, it all. This is all great. We got to look at it, uh, this model. We only have about 30 seconds left. I want to thank all of you for being on the show this morning. We'll continue this discussion. We, we need more time on it. Uh, the summit is Friday, August 11th. You can meet, uh, Melinda, Don, uh, Anthony and Lila at the Champlain Valley Expo on August 11th, uh, Friday, August 11th at the, uh, Champlain Valley Exposition. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV Radio.